Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Sachs's Essay Today podcast. My name is Michelle Botcher. I'm an associate professor at Clemson University, and I'm also your host for this program. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about a topic related to job transition. However, it's going to have a little bit of a different take on it because we're going to talk about what it's like to transition into a role where there's a strong department and the team is functioning well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Welcome to our guest, Dr. Deontay Brown, Assistant Dean of Undergraduate Studies and Director of the Center for Academic Retention and Enhancement, the CARE team at Florida State University. Deontay, welcome. It is wonderful to talk with you. Michelle, it is always a pleasure to connect with you. Uh, can't believe how long it's been since we've actually seen each other in person, uh, but we'll definitely have to make that change soon. I completely agree. Um, and I honestly don't say that about everyone, but I do say it about you. So um, if you would just tell us a little bit about who you are outside of work. So what are your hobbies? What are things you're reading, watching, listening to? Who are you? Great question. Huh, who am I outside of work? Oh, man. Uh, I think I'll start with that I'm a parent. Um, I have three amazing sons who are very different in their personalities. Um, so they they take a lot of my time outside of work. Uh, but we enjoy, you know, playing card games. Um, they've gotten into football in the yard now. So we're running random plays we come up with. Um, I usually take them from my NCAA football 2014 game. Uh, but we're running plays like we have our own team. Uh, they've also randomly started doing uh, sing-alongs in the car. Um, their, their song of choice right now is um, There's Nothing Holding Me Back. I think it's Sean Mendez. So we are driving my wife crazy as we sing um, loudly and off key. Um, but but we we have fun. It's a it's a joy being their dad, um, and so I, I love that. Uh, my wife and I binge watch TV series on all the major platforms. I am sure between the two of us, we are paying for every streaming service possible. Um, matter of fact, I just rediscovered that I paid for Hulu. Um, and I was like, when did I start this? And she reminded me that she switched it over to, to my account. Um, so, so, so we, we love watching different series that come out. Um, right now I've on regular on cable TV, I've really started watching the foods that built America. Um, it's, really fascinating to to see some of the connection and the innovations that have happened over time with with the food industry um so if you aren't watching the foods that built america you should definitely check it out you will learn a lot about all of the fast food places pizza popcorn even so it's it's been a great series to watch um yeah and i think that's that's where we are. I mean, I've so in terms of reading, because um, I said I would start reading for pleasure after I finished the PhD. Um, mm -hmm. Before that, it was all work related or education related. Uh, so pre Oscars, 
I started reading Will Smith's um, memoir. So I am still pushing through and reading that. Um, it's been it's been a very eye-opening read um, to to learn a lot about his his childhood and some of that trauma that he experienced and how he's still processing and navigating that. So that's that's the current book that I'm reading right now. Awesome. You're the first person I've talked to who is also watching the foods that built America. So um, Clarence Birdeye, Birdseye, and all of those patents that he got, that was just amazing to me. So yes, I'm like, this, this show should be a class. Like, yeah, <laughs> it is. It's history and it's science and it's power and mm -hmm. You know, it's a lot. So, oh, yeah. Um, well, okay. So, here's another question for you. This one's a little bit more work related, but, you know, people talk all the time about student affairs and higher education. It's a small field and everyone knows everyone. So, would you take a few minutes and just kind of highlight who have been some really instrumental people in your experience working? in and across higher education. Um, and the, the purpose for me in asking the question is there are gonna be listeners out there who are gonna know that same person or um, to me, it just sort of reinforces that we are all connected. So who, who are some of those key people for you, Deontay? Wow, and I have about <laughs> two minutes, let's see. Um, so. I've just finished my, this has been 12 years of full-time work experience in higher education student affairs. Um, and so over time, I've definitely come across a few people. Professionally, I've only worked at two institutions, Florida State University and Clemson University. Uh, but I've, I've definitely met some great people, whether at those institutions or in the profession through our associations. Um, so I think, you know, the first person I have to mention is Dr. Angela Alvarado Coleman. She's currently the vice chancellor for student affairs at North Carolina Central University. Um, but I can say her, I, I can say I knew her way back when, when she was our program director for Upward Bound at Florida State, and I was a student in that program. Um, and so, you know, I really... I look up to her. She's someone I consider a mentor in, in this work, um, a friend. And so she, she showed me what a path forward looks like in this profession. Because um, I thought, you know, being a program director for Upward Bound would be the, the ultimate career path for me once I stopped fighting being in education and decided, all right, this is where I, I am meant to be. Um, but to see how she navigated her career from being a program director at two different institutions for Upward Bound to being a senior level student affairs officer to now being a chief student affairs officer, like it, it has really shown me that there's a path. And she did all this while being a parent, a, a, a wife, um, investing in her professional development, completing the doctorate. So there's a lot that I draw on from her experience and how I, I show up. Um, but there's also, you know, folks like Dr. Will Hudson, who's the VP at FAMU. And I remember 
when I was in high school, seeing him as an associate director in care and thinking, you know what, he has it together. I don't know what he actually does in his job, but it looks like he gets to tell people what to do um, and has fun. And so um, when I think about the work that I'm able to do, I think about him often and how he, you know, was one of the the first black men that I saw move through um, the PhD program. And that's just from a very distant perspective. Like I was off, off at UCF in undergrad as he was finishing up, but to know that, hey, I knew him as he was going through this process and, and he was working full time and still being great at all these things, like it is possible. Um, so I think about him, uh, I think about, you know, the, the amazing colleagues I've had at, at these institutions. So uh, Dr. Mary Coburn, who is a, the former vice president of student affairs at Florida State, I was a high school work study student in her office years ago. And I only did it because it was part of the summer program for Upward Bound. I had no idea that I would one day work for her as a professional here at Florida State in, in the Division of Student Affairs. Um, but I think about how she led this division for so many years and the impact she had on folks. Um, then people like Jeff Brown, my, my supervisor during my time at Clemson who, you know, is very, I give him the credit for my involvement with NASPA um, because he asked very early on, what conference are you going to go to? Um, that was one of the first conversations we had. And I was like, I don't know. Um, I was like, I had a NASPA membership before, so maybe I'll go to NASPA. And, you know, he really encouraged me to not just go to a conference, but to figure out how you can be involved in your association. So, um, Jeff was an amazing supervisor and friend still to this day. Um, Dr. Kendra Stewart Tillman, who's at, at Clemson and great friend, mentor. She was on my dissertation committee, um, but she, she really provided a model of how to engage in, in equity, diversity, and inclusion work and, and be your authentic self in doing so. And so I appreciate her. Dr. Althea Richardson, uh, Dr. Shannon Finning. Uh, I've had interactions with great faculty along the way, like you and Tony. Um, and so there's so many people who, who have been a part of this. And I also include the grad assistants I've worked with over time. Um, I didn't come from a traditional student affairs background in terms of the master's program. So I learned right alongside with them often. So from my very first GA, Bianca Lambert, to the, the last official GA I had when I was leaving Clemson, Simone Richardson, and all those in between, Jen Lowe, Sarah Harmon, like they, they supported me. And so I think I consider them a part of my network. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're out there creating change and shaking things up right now. Yeah. So the, excellent, excellent. Thank you so much for that. You've talked a little bit about this, but let's shift into your sort of career path. You know, how did you find your way into and through higher ed and into the role that you have now at Florida State? It's a really great question. So, um, like I said, I started my full-time career in 2012. Prior to that, though, I was working part-time in the summer with Upward Bound. So 
Um, every summer of my undergrad experience, I was a summer counselor for that program. Um, and even after I graduated, they kept me on for another summer. Um, and so and that was at a time where I was figuring it out. Um, I had originally planned to go into like government. So working with uh, state legislatures or lobbying. And that was no longer the plan once I graduated. I hated my master's program that I had enrolled in. It was, it was not the same as undergrad. So I was really at a crossroads. I knew I was interested in education, but I always thought I would do education policy. That was, I was never going to get away from the legislative side of things. So yeah, I don't like the master's in public administration, but I'll go and get a degree in educational leadership and just focus on policy. That was, that was the focus. Uh, but somewhere along the way, um, I stayed connected to the Upper Bound staff, to the staff here in the department at the time, and the opportunity to serve as an academic success coach for second year first gen students became an option. And so um, that was my first full time job supporting second year first gen students uh, through an, a coaching model. So I was meeting with students every day, all day, um, every other week. Uh, it was, I think my roster was maybe about 115 students somewhere around there. So split that in half, those were my weeks. The stories were always amazing um, to hear what they had going on. So we had the high moments, we had the low points, celebrations, we had the just sit in silence moments, um, but that really, gave me an idea of where I wanted my, my career to go from those interactions with students. Um, so I did that for a little over a year, then had the opportunity to transition to directing our Upper Bound program here at Florida State. And so for me, that was the highlight. I'm done. Like I reached this, this level of my career. Um, I think at the time I was in my mid-20s. So I'm like, all right, I have arrived. There's, I'll do this for the next... 15 years or so, and then we'll see what comes after that. Um, and so I worked with those students and it was the program I was a part of. So it was very near and dear and special to me. Um, but as I mentioned before, I saw Dr. Coleman kind of do this transition from leading TRIO programs to being in charge of more traditional student affairs departments and kind of her career progression. So I wondered, is that, you know, what I want? Like I, I had only worked with college students for a little over a year, spent three years or so working with high school students. Um, and I was like, I need to figure out if, if the more traditional student affairs work is of interest to me. Um, and so I, I took a leap of faith and I accepted an offer at Clemson. Um, that was going to be the furthest I had lived from my family in Florida. Um, and so there were a lot of changes at the time. And, and I arrived there as a, as a wide-eyed associate director, um, ready to, to shake things up and figure out how I could have an impact for the students there. And it was a, a great opportunity. Um, I was, think I was promoted multiple times. I went from associate director um, to director. And then I was, when I left, I was an assistant dean of students. 
in between there, I was interim associate dean of students. So there's a lot of great opportunity for me to really get a strong feel for the traditional student affairs. Um, and I'm still here. Um, it was a great opportunity. I was encouraged to take on leadership roles within some of our professional associations. So I was on the board for NASPA Region 3 for a number of years. I was able to lead divisional committees. I was invited into a lot of great spaces with colleagues at Clemson. And that kind of solidified it for me that, yes, I this is what I want to do. This is the work for me. Um, we developed some great programs while we were there. And so now I, you know, I have the opportunity to be in this role as assistant dean of undergraduate studies and director of care. And it, it is a culmination of all of my prior experiences. Everything has been building up to prepare me for this role. And I think about all the opportunities I'm having now, and I, I get excited at what's to come for my future because of the work I've been able to do. So what, and, and you've alluded to this, you've certainly put in place the groundwork. What was it about this opportunity in particular that caught your eye and you were like, mm, this is, I, it's time to go back to Florida State. So what were some things that drew you to the role? It's a really great question. Um, I would probably, I'll have to say the work itself the people and the opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, so my career, the foundation of my career started here. So I, I kind of knew the reputation of the department. I knew the work I would be getting into and I knew that, they're, that they were serious about supporting first gen Pell and Pell eligible students. Um, and so that was really exciting to know that I could come back and be a part of, of that work that was happening, but also other work that could happen. Um, the people, I mean, they, they're phenomenal. Um, and this is not the, so, so to clarify, this is not the same department that I left in 2014. Um, there are only four, I believe there's only four staff members that are still in the department from when I was here in 2014. And we have over 20 full-time professionals. So um, definitely a, a changeover. Um, but the people are committed to supporting students. Um, they have wonderful ideas. They are, they want to make a difference. So that was appealing. Um, and, and this is stuff I heard kind of, as I was talking to people about, should I apply for this? Like, what is like, what is the current state of care? And so they, they talked highly of the people, um, but also the leadership, um, knowing who I would be working with to promote student success. So the, the Division of Undergraduate Studies, which is kind of my home department, um, had a new dean appointed, I think a few months before this position posted. So Dr. Joel Shea, he's, he's an FSU alum and he was an assistant provost at the time. And so he was also appointed uh, Dean of Undergraduate Studies. So I, I knew of Joe. Um, one of the last things I did before I left for Clemson was to serve on a search committee with Joe. Um, and we, we got to laugh about that being like the last service to FSU that I did. And that was how our paths initially crossed. Um, and so 
for me, it was having, you know, an understanding of who he is and seeing just the impact he had in, in his time at Florida State and really focusing on student success initiatives and how we can make sure all students have access to opportunities um, and that they are, they're not limited. And so that was really important for me to, to have someone who was thinking about equity in that sense. Um, and then also being able to work with Dr. Brandon Bowden, who um, I would say he's a, a an FSU student affairs uh, legend. He has, he went to Florida State for undergrad, grad degrees, came up through the ranks of the student union working at, as in guest services there and, and moved up to becoming an associate VP. So he's very well respected, has a great understanding of this work in this context and students love him. And so that was important to have someone who's student-centered also be a part of my, my growth and my development. So they really, they really made this an attractive opportunity once you add in those two people to be kind of my, my supporters, my advocates along the way. Um, and then this, this position was, was a little new. Um, in some sense, there's always been a director of this department, but this role now carries an assistant dean of undergraduate studies appointment as well. Um, and so the opportunity to be on the more on the academic affairs side um, is, is something that will help me in my career and really helps with the work that I get to do with students because we're, we're talking about retention, graduation, um, post-graduation outcomes, student success, you can't have that without the academic side and you can't have it without the student affairs side. Like it all comes together. And so this role being on the academic side represented an opportunity for me to, to learn more and then blend what I knew previously from a traditional student affairs track. Uh, it's also a faculty position. And so um, that comes with some flexibility and opportunity in the way I get to do my work. Uh, and, you know, I kind of made my dissertation chair happy when I was in the final stages of writing and I could tell her I have a faculty offer when I resisted that for so long I was like I am not doing the faculty route but we both kind of get the best of both worlds with this role and so there was a lot that appealed to me and 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 lastly you know the students um there's so many students who who share a similar story as mine of being first gen Pell eligible, um, but also, you know, the opportunity to think about who's next. So my sons are not first gen, um, and so how can I think about all of our alums who've come through the various programs in our department? Their children are starting to come to college, and they're not first gen, but they still need support um, because they're only for most part, second generation. There's still a lot of knowledge where knowledge gap we're making up there. And so how can we continue to expand? And that was something that was also appealing to me. The opportunity to take this to the next level um, was definitely on my mind and increasing our support for students. So I appreciate what you said about um, this wasn't the same office that you left. How did you... Now you're going to have like some access to some people and, you know, opportunities to kind of look behind the scenes a little bit, but how did you navigate 
how the culture might have changed. Um, we're recording this kind of in the midst of job search season for graduating students. Do you have suggestions? I guess both and, right? Just in general, how do you assess culture um, during the job search, but also for students who, or, or staff who are interested in going back to an institution where they've been before, how do you sort of prepare for the, I'm going back, but not back to the same. So any thoughts you have on either of those? Yeah, so um, it never hurts to just talk to people. Um, and so I was able to, uh, through my informal network, get connected to some, some folks who had recently worked in the department, people who were on the kind of periphery, who were campus partners, essentially, to learn, you know, what are their perspectives on the work that's being done in the department, the people. Um, so I did a lot of, a lot of talking. Um, I also, you know, since I worked here previously, I was connected to alums. And so, and they're connected to more recent students. So also being able to talk with them about the experiences. It, it was different all around too, because we have to add in the layer of COVID. And, um, and so that also impacted what I was able to, to gather and students' experiences during COVID, they weren't happy in general um, with the way things were going with engagement. So I had to make an asterisk with, with some of that, um, but, but it also still reminded me that the staff, they're there supporting the students. They're, the students were saying, yes, they're here, they're reaching out, they're doing X, Y, and Z. It's just not the same as before, which we knew we knew that wasn't going to be the same. So again, putting some asterisks next to their feedback. But I spent a lot of time talking with folks. Um, if if people don't have a kind of your your advisory board, um, your go to people, um, I think about two of mine, uh, Dr. David Kenton and Dr. Rosemary Frazier. They they they've worked so closely with me. We presented together. I consider them to be part of my advisory board. So talking with them also about what are the questions I should be asking? Um, because uh, Dr. Kenton, he has, he's worked at multiple institutions. So he's gone, he's had more of the experience of assessing culture than, than I had at that moment. Um, so I found me a more knowledgeable other, somebody who can provide me with some advice and feedback. And then Dr. Rosemary Frazier was still here at Florida State at the time. So she could be that conduit and that connector for me. So I, I did a lot of talking um, to folks outside of the talking to people, um, going out onto social media. Um, I looked at the department's social media pages to see, you know, what were they posting? How were folks commenting and engaging with them? Uh, what were the most engaged postings. I looked at websites to see different information, staffing. Um, I actually joked with uh, one of my one of my team members. She was the interim director uh, while the search was happening, and I remember. I think I got an org chart uh, when one of our transition meetings, and we were talking about some things. I was like, "Okay, this this looks pretty good," and then she later said don't don't focus on that because there's a lot more vacancies than what's on that org chart so so having that time to really talk with 
with the leadership also in that area or the people who are working in that area is important because they can provide valuable insight into what's what's really going on because we put org charts on our website we have staff photos but you can't gather what's happening behind the scenes from that website um, so yeah have a, have conversations get you an advisory board of people you can kind of process what do i need to what do i need to ask what am i missing what am i not thinking about um, and then figuring out who who knows who um, and who can you talk to 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 understand uh, that's that's a lot of what i did and to kind of assess and figure out this whole transition piece okay so you've done your homework you've taken the job and now you're stepping in and i love that when we were brainstorming you know what what might we talk about that one of the first things you said is well i'd be interested in sharing what my experience was like stepping into a strong team i we don't talk about that right we yeah. we sort of um hope for the best and plan for the worst and mm -hmm. just assume there are going to be some growing pains, which I'm sure there were, yeah. but talk about that. You know, what, what has your experience been like now you've moved into, um, you and I were talking beforehand, uh, an area with a really good reputation mm -hmm. and a strong team. So how do you become a part of that as you moved into your role? Yeah, so um, it was great to know that I was coming into an area with folks who knew what they were doing, essentially. Um, so our, our department has multiple programs within it. We you know, support over 1,500 college students plus an additional 80 or so high school students. Um, and so it was, there's a lot of moving parts. But coming into this team that was working very well, even during the pandemic, when things are kind of disjointed in some areas, uh, they were they were still making it happen. Um, and so for me, having that strong team, and yes, we were down staff. Um, so we, we weren't fully staffed, but the work was happening. Coming into this environment allowed me to be more observant um, I could, I took time to soak it all in, uh, because I didn't have to jump in and start triaging or riding the ship. Now the staff did tell me what I need to do and when I need to do it and where I need to be to make sure their strong team kept running. Uh, but I didn't have to, I wasn't coming in to save anything. I was coming in to truly work alongside a great team. Um, and so, you know, we we were able to connect and, and make things happen. I mean, this department, well, the work has been around for over 53 years. Um, and so the name CARE has only been around since 2000, but the work has been around for over 53 years. And so people, people know the reputation. Um, and because of that strong foundation, like I mentioned earlier, I could be more observant. Uh, I could soak it all in. But I also had the opportunity and the privilege to to think about the question what's next and how quickly is next um so you know when when i interviewed for this role i had to do a 10-year plan what's my 10-year vision for the department and you know i 
I've mapped it out. I have some great things on that 10-year plan. Um, expansion was a part of that, that 10-year plan. And so I'm thinking, you know, maybe we'll start talking about that around year three. Um, let's, let's get a good foundation and we'll see where we want to go. But no, some of that expansion has happened in year one. <laughs> but I have the, the privilege to, to lead that because the team has done so well and they've worked really collaboratively to, to support student success. Um, so, you know, for the last year, I would say we've been running full throttle um, and the wheels have not fallen off because they are so good at what they do. Um, and and our, our growth hasn't been limited. And I can really look to the fact that we have knowledgeable folks um, who are doing the work um, we have students who believe in us. Um, and so it's, it's been great to, to have that strong team that's getting the work done, inviting me in where, where I need to be and where I have an interest in being and, and welcoming me, onboarding me, bringing me up to speed, all those great things, but also being here like, all right, all right, Deontay, um, or some of them call I get referred to as Dr. Brown a lot of times in spaces. I'm still getting used to that because to me, I'm, I'm Deontay. Um, but all right, Dr. Brown, like what's next? What's on the agenda? What are, where are we going? What are we looking at? They are, they are hungry and eager for the expansion and the new ideas and innovation just as much as I am. Um, I would say that's something I love is to think of new programs or enhancements so it's been really great to, to work with them and know that we can do that and we aren't sacrificing essentially the bread and butter of our services and support of students while we're also thinking about the what's next. Mm -hmm. And we can run at full speed if we have to, or we can tailor, we can dial it back a notch if we feel that's where we are. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanna give you a chance to pitch if you need to. Are you fully staffed now? So we, we are not fully staffed now, but that is because of the expansion. Okay. Uh, yeah. So in terms of what are the positions we had when I came into the department, we are, we are pretty much fully staffed. We have one search that's underway now for one of those previous positions, but recently we have added, or we will be adding four new positions. Um, so Again, we've been going full speed for about a year and a half now, thinking of new, new programs, services that we can implement. So we are adding a uh, faculty director for our first generation knows living learning community. Um, so that person will lead that living learning community, but also work collaboratively with our leadership team in the department on assessment, research, some student outreach or intervention efforts. We are adding um, two, we're still waiting on the official classification, but essentially two coordinator level roles to work with two of our kind of new initiatives. So we have a new or revamped cohort program within our department that is not as limiting as our summer bridge. So for our summer bridge, students have to be first gen and Pell eligible. For our new cohort program, Quest Scholars, we're not as focused on they have to be both. You can be one or the other, um, but we, we have that coming on board. We also have something we're calling our student networks. 
So these are kind of like the low level engagement or commitment on the part of the student. So we want to make sure that they know there's community based off of some of their shared identities, but we're not asking them to sign up to come to a workshop every week. Um, we're saying we're going to plan some events. You can come to those. We're going to reach out, check on you periodically throughout the year. Um, we're going to provide opportunities for you to think about experiential learning or prepare for life after FSU, but we're not, we're not asking you to, to sign up for something, uh, but just know we're here to support and we're actually um, launching our the Renaissance Male Achievement Network, which is something I worked on at Clemson. We're actually going to make that a part of our men of color efforts here at Florida State. So we have a coordinator for Quest, a coordinator for the networks, and then we're adding kind of an, an academic advocate role um, that will essentially focus on progression and assisting students who've come across or who've hit barriers to either their retention or timely graduation. So they'll essentially be a case manager on the academic side of working through whether that's, you know, financial challenges, um, struggling to find the right major fit, um, if they are, you know, uh, if their GPA is of concern and trying to get admitted to some of our limited access programs, that person is going to essentially be, be a, an advocate, a navigator for them to find their way and make sure they're getting out of this college experience what they want to get out. So we're, we're adding, we're, we're expanding. Um, it's a great time. And then we've done a lot of grant writing. So we're just waiting to hear back on if those will be successful or not. But yeah. It's been some good stuff happening. All right. So listeners, you heard it here. Depending on when this airs, keep your eyes open for some of these opportunities. Remember, this episode is about joining a strong team. So just I'm trying to repay the favor of you (laughs) spending time with us by uh, helping with your recruitment efforts. Um. So another unique aspect of your particular role, Deontay, and you mentioned this earlier, is the fact that you are a dual report. Um, one, I'm not sure if I know, have you ever been in a dual report position before? And then what has that been like? What are pros and cons to reporting both through student affairs and academic affairs? Yeah, so my first role as an academic success coach here at Florida State was was a bit of a dual reporting role. So um, my kind of solid reporting line was to advising first, which is like the part the centralized advising unit here on campus. But I was in I was placed in the care department for my site, so I had my site supervisor as well. So I had a little experience of of having two supervisors. Um, and it was, I appreciated it because I had someone who was more of my, my context expert being that I was in care. Um, but I had someone who was also my strategy implementation expert in the advising first world. So that was my initial experience with dual reporting that I had someone who could talk to me about all things related to first gen Pell eligible students. But then I also had these folks over in Advising First who were training me on developmental advising, intrusive advising, 
coaching skills. So that was that was my experience, and it continues on even in this role. Some of the same things is that I have double the meetings without double the time. <laughs> so, uh, but but no, in all honesty, being a dual report does have its advantages. Um, I think for the work that I am doing alongside the team here in CARE, um, we benefit from being both in undergraduate studies, which is on part of the Division of Academic Affairs and being a part of the Division of Student Affairs. Um, we're in meetings, various members of our team, we're in meetings with the folks talking about health and well-being, um, or you know, we're all trying to figure out what student engagement now looks like because students are saying, yeah, give us Zoom, but then they don't really want Zoom as much as they thought they wanted Zoom or give me in-person. So we're able to be in those conversations with people, but we're also, you know, on the academic side, talking about academic advising or peer learning support, um, registration holds. So we're, we're able to be in both of those places, which allows us to be better agents and advocates of student success um, because essentially any, yeah, pretty much any challenge a student could bring to one of our staff members because we're on both sides of the house in, in a sense, we can figure out quickly who do we need to contact to resolve or for additional support. Um, they, our team has more access to serve on committees. Um, there's greater professional development that can occur for them. Uh, their network is very expansive. Um, so we're not just isolated to, to one area. Uh, now it does have its nuances, working in a dual reporting um, area. I think about some of the divisional practices. So I, I sometimes I'm in the gray area um, of how the two divisions will operate. Um, a prime example I think it was, yeah, it was, I think last fall. So different divisions do different things to recognize, you know, staff achievements. So for example, completion of, of a degree, whether that's a bachelor's, master's, or, or the doctorate. Um, I think some divisions at the university were doing one-time bonuses, um, the Division of Undergraduate Studies had a, I think it was like a 1% recurring increase if you completed a degree. Somewhere along there, there was a percentage increase. And here I am with the department that has staff technically in separate divisions. So do I follow, do I make all my student affairs folks follow the student affairs process and all my undergraduate studies people follow undergraduate studies? Uh, it got to be very interesting. But the great thing about the dual reporting nature is that I'm in essentially two-on-ones with, with both of my supervisors. So Dr. O'Shea and Dr. Bowden, we meet every other week um, and we're able to talk through some of these things and figure out what makes the most sense for care. Um, and, and so with both divisions also and the university going through this process of what makes the most sense overall, you know, we defaulted to whatever is in the best interest of the staff member. So if the undergraduate studies policy was going to remain being a 1% increase, then we would make that 1% increase work for the staff um, across divisions. But we also revised that and now we have a bonus structure. So 
it came together, but those are some of the nuances of being a dual reporting areas, the, the variation in policies and how that gets applied. Um, so so we, we worked through some of those things. Um, small detail is making sure that everybody is getting the newsletters because <laughs> those tend to be about what is your, what is your business center or your kind of division code. And so we have to make sure that our folks on the undergraduate study side also know what's going on from the student affairs side. We make that work, uh, but it is a, a, a great opportunity to be in this role because of the work that we're doing. Um, and I'm not the only dual report on the undergraduate study side. Uh, one of my colleagues, one of our other assistant deans is a dual report to our Dean of Undergraduate Studies and our athletics director. So um, I have someone that I can talk with about this dual reporting stuff if I ever need to. Great. Well, do you have advice for people who are, and we've kind of talked about a couple of different things here, but either they are about to transition into working with a strong team and or um, moving into dual reports roles any yeah. maybe things they want would want to know about during the interview or things to be prepared for making that transition yeah so i think some just some general advice and i remember this um from when i was transitioning to clemson from florida state like it was it was like an immediate transition like there was no time off i think i was done with one on a Thursday and I was at my first Clemson event the following Saturday. So there was no break in between. But uh, Dr. Laura Osteen, I don't know if she remembers this, uh, but she one of the when I told her about that transition, um, she told me, don't basically don't do that again. Um, you need to take time in between your roles. Um, and Dr. Osteen is now at uh, she's at Tulane University. Um, and so she, I remember that this time around. And so during this transition, I made sure I had time to relax, reflect and recover. Um, so whether you are leaving a, a good situation or situation you consider to be bad, like those three things are still important um, because you've been doing the work. So you need to take time for yourself. Um, think about, you know, what were your achievements, your successes, the highlights of your previous experience? What are the things you want to do differently in this, in this new opportunity? Um, one of the great things about leaving Clemson at the time I did in the middle of the pandemic is that my kind of going away was virtual. And so I have a recording of folks who showed up and all the, the great things they had to say about me and and it, I had not taken the time for myself to really reflect much during my career outside of the our annual evaluations where we list out what our achievements were um, for the year. But to hear how other folks saw me in the work was was a great thing for me. And so I reflected on that a lot and then to recover. Um, th this work is not easy. Um, we will have our good moments, our bad moments. And that, that can stay with us and that can influence how we show up in the next space. So taking the time to really just, just heal for some of us for, from what we have experienced or to, to just get some time back 
is important. So that's general advice. And whatever your transition is, take time to relax, reflect, recover uh, before you move on to that next role. So thanks, Dr. O. I remember it this time around. Um, but I would also say for people who are starting to transition to working with high-functioning teams, um, it's okay to, to observe them. Um, you want to observe. You want to make sure you're finding ways to support, but that you're also showing your value early on. I'll never forget in my uh, in the video at the end of my time at Clemson, one of my good friends, Matthew Kirk, in, in his remarks, he mentioned that I didn't say a whole lot when very early on in our interactions because uh, we had a retreat with students. And so he was like, he was very quiet. Uh, but he was like, what, what he learned later on is that I was, I was being observant. I was making these meticulous notes. And when I was ready, I hit the ground running and there was, there was, there was some great things we were able to accomplish. So it's okay with a high functioning team to, to take that time to say, listen, I, I really want to see how you all are doing this work and, and support where I can. Um, and know that I can't, I do have value to add, but I want to make sure I'm adding it in the right way. Um, for those who are going to be leading high functioning teams, those things still apply, like observe, support, show your value. Um, but it's also important to, to let them know what the expectations are, because there will be that shift in a sense whenever you have new leadership. Um, and so talking about those expectations will will help them see the vision that you have for them and for the department for the future. And it gets you all on the same page. Uh, in, in regards to the dual reporting piece, uh, I think it's important. So I have two-on-ones with, my, with my, my folks, but I also have the opportunity to have individual meetings as well. Um, and those individual meetings are are not so that I can have separate conversations about issues that maybe I want one to take up and the other one to not know about. That's not how we function. Um, but they each have so much that they can contribute to me. And so I have the, the opportunity as needed to really talk with them one-on-one -on -one, um, for my own growth and development. Because we, we have an hour in our two-on-ones. If I if we sat there and had unlimited time, there wouldn't be enough time, even if it was unlimited, for them to really invest in me the way that they each want to. And so I do have the opportunity to have individual one-on-ones with both of my supervisors. So if you are transitioning to a dual reporting role, I highly recommend finding ways to have that individualized support um, and mix that with the, the joint because we, we do have some wonderful joint sessions. Uh, so you need, I think you need both as a dual report. You need those joint sessions with both of your supervisors. So they're always kind of on the same page, but you also need that individual time um, where you can connect with them uh, and figure out what, how they work together. I'm, I think I'm, I'm blessed in the sense that I have two supervisors, <clears throat> excuse me, two supervisors who are very supportive of each other. Um, and they will, sometimes I'm logging on to Zoom and they're already talking about random things and just really connecting. Um, and, and so I think that's also important. So figuring out how they want to be supported as your supervisors and sharing with them how you want to be supported is also important. Awesome. 
Is there anything that, well, two parts to this question, anything that you wish you had known or that you might have done differently as you moved into this role? And then what else should I be asking you about that I haven't asked you? Great question. So I transitioned um, again during COVID and I think I let, I let that box me in, in a sense, to some of the ways I engaged with, with the team. Um, so most of our engagement was our, you know, opening up to them to do one-on-ones. I, I met with anybody who wanted to talk with me. Um, whether you were my direct report or not, I thought that was really important to provide that space, um, especially since we didn't have we didn't have a, a separate departmental time during my interview process. So I wanted to make sure that everyone who wanted the opportunity to ask me questions, to get to know me, they had that space during the early period of my transition. Um, so I rely heavily on those one-on-ones in our staff meet and our staff meetings. Um, because we were virtual, I just assume, you know, that's all the engagement that they want. Um, but I wish I would have taken time to, to create some more of those virtual engagement opportunities, whether we are, you know, we're playing a Kahoot virtually or just, you know, being there without an, an agenda and talking. I wish I would have did more of that during the transition piece, because once we got together, the energy was amazing. Um, so now we, we have our periodic Kahoot games. Um, I, I have won one round, uh, the second <laughs> round I lost, but there's an asterisk in that record book because my, one of my supervisors called me in the middle of the game and I was like, I can't ignore the call from the Dean. So I had to step out. So I technically lost that round, but it's okay. Mm -hmm. uh, but we, we're having, we're taking time to really enjoy each other. Um, and so that was, that was something I wish I would have done more early on was to get them together, even if it was on the Zoom screen, to do some of that social engagement piece. Um, and let's see, what else? I think it's important for folks to realize, like, just like I just shared something I wish I would have done differently, being in any role we're in, we're not going to get it right every single time. Um, Michael Jordan didn't have a hundred percent shooting average. So, I mean, we're, we're, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to have some misses, but it's how we continue to show up and be vulnerable in those spaces that I think make the difference for our staff. Um, so being able to admit when, you know, yep, I missed the mark on that. Um, but we, we have opportunity to, to grow and, and do it better the next time around is really important for our staff. Um, I also think, you know, with this work, finding ways as leaders that we can support our staff um, in this evolving work environment is important. Um, my, my administrative associate has encouraged me to, to learn how to do my own travel. Um, so I have my own travel card now and I book my own travel and I do the expense reports. Um, and while she will still do that for me, you know, I know that for her, the fact that I know how to do it and I'm willing to do it, especially when I walk by and I see that she has seven travel requests for our other staff members, 
the simple fact that I'm not going to add to her work at that moment helps her or that I can be of assistance if she says, you know, hey, can you do this travel for this person? I, I can. Um, I can be a team player. I can support her in, in that work. So if we can find ways to learn how to do some of the, the tasks that we're asking others to do. So in those peak moments, they're not overwhelmed. It goes a long way to, to showing our appreciation and showing that there's, there's not a task too small for me to do, even though I carry this title, um, I can still do the work and, and also finding ways to, to just generally appreciate our staff. We're, we're all, in a new work context. Um, and so we have to continue to figure out how can we show appreciation to the people who are part of our strong teams is it's so important to me. That's great. Um, I wanna go back to your Kahoot loss for a moment. <laughs> so you became part of a strong team. Is there any chance that your opponents reached out to the Dean to say, please call Deontay right now. <laughs> I, I'm, I don't know your team. So this is not an allegation, just curiosity. You Are know, they that organized that they would have done that to win the game? They might, they have, they might have, we had folks steal people's identities in the cahoot so that they could, they could win. Like people were taking other people's names, like, come on folks. Uh, but it was, it was, that was like perfect timing because I was on a roll. I was on my streak with answering the questions. And then I get a team's message followed by a phone call. And I was like, okay, I got to take this. And I never recovered because of course they didn't pause the game. They saw it as their perfect opportunity to, to knock me down a few notches. <laughs> That's right. They're just showing that while you're a good leader, they can carry on without you if yes. they need to. So, excellent. Well, Thank you so much for your time today. I, I was looking forward to this conversation and just the chance to connect with you is always a gift. As we wrap up, what's something that's bringing you hope right now? Um, could be personal, could be work, some of each, but what's happening in your world that inspires some hope for you? Yeah, um, my sons, they are bringing me a lot of hope as I said, they're very different. Um, and I, in my mind, I already have their, their life planned out for them. I know what colleges and careers they're going to do. And chances are they won't follow in those plans. And that's all right, because I'm, I'm inspired by the way they are developing and the ownership they are taking in, in, in their life. Um, my my oldest will transition to middle school. Um, he is the most like my wife in terms of personality. They're very, they're they're quiet, observant, but they have this random, fun, silly side that they don't show everyone, but the people they're close to know it's there. Um, and just the way he thinks about life makes me hopeful. The the way he is already, you know, supporting his peers and, and some of the questions he's asking. I know he will, he will make this world a better place in whatever community he decides he wants to invest. Um, random, he also told me that he will get 
two PhDs because he needs to one up me. Um, so that is also part of my son's personality. He is he is silently competitive, he, random. He's not really boastful about it other than when it's with me. Um, so he he said he will get two PhDs. My second son is really starting to be the social butterfly, um, which is different from my first son. So I told you they all have different personalities, but he is he is finding ways to to use his voice to make sure we we know what he wants um and that he is different from from our oldest and so he's now taking taekwondo lessons um which was random for him but i can see the the improvement in his confidence because being the second child or the middle child essentially they can get lost in there. And so I see his confidence improving um, because of what he is going through. And he's my silent star. He won't talk a lot about his academic achievements because he wants to be, he's the social person. He values his friendships, but he is, he is doing great things. He bought a chapter book. He's in first grade. He brought a chapter book into the room and was like, I'm reading this. Um, and I was like, that is awesome. And the main characters were our two um, young black boys. So that even, that made me very proud that he, that was a book he purchased from the book fair because representation is important. So he's finding his, his voice. And then my, my youngest one, he is the boss. Um, he keeps the other two in line. And I can only imagine the way he people are drawn to him. He he can get things done. As as a three year old, he has a big personality, and so I just I'm excited for what that looks like across his life. So I, I know that they will do things that make them happy. Um, so I'm just I'm they're they're really bringing me hope. That's great. Well, and I hope when this episode comes out that you play this for them and maybe play it for them periodically throughout their lives too. So, but that's great. I, yeah. I love that for them and for you and the family. So, well, Dr. Brown, I appreciate your time. I want to thank you one more time for uh, joining the podcast today. Um, you let me know when it's time to do another episode because I'll talk to you anytime. I'll even talk to you if it's not for a podcast. That's how generous I am. So um, as we wrap up, today's Essay Today podcast is brought to you by SAXA, and we thank them for their support. Additionally, this show would not be possible without my producer, Jen Lowe, who is working at EAB. As always, Jen, thank you for your collaboration and for making this happen. And as we leave, I will leave you, the listeners, with a quote. Today's quote is from Booker T. Washington, and it is, if you lift yourself up, if you want to lift yourself up, lift someone else. Um, Deontay, I saw this quote and immediately thought of you. I, I see you doing that in life and work and, and the spaces where you are. So thanks for all you do. My name is Michelle Botcher. It has been a pleasure to host this episode. Have a beautiful day. <laughs>